Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen, the best co-host in the world. You're not even the best co-host on Just Keep Rolling. Only because we're tied. Yeah, sure. That's that's why. Mm-hmm. It is why. Sure. It is. Does that make you feel better? I'm just going to keep rolling. Okay. Into the rolling rehash. Because I'm pretty much the best. Last week, we <laughs> discussed Chapter 3, The Burrow. And its corresponding film scenes. Harry is slow on the uptake. Uncle Vernon is quick on the downturn. Right out the window. Ron, Fred, George, and Harry flip the Dursleys the double bird as they make off into the night. Molly briefly disowns Ron, Fred, and George for taking Arthur's flying car out without their learner's permit. Arthur briefly disowns Ron, Fred, and George for taking out his flying car without him. But, despite a difference in parenting techniques, Molly and Arthur are still hashtag relationship goals. And, in the burrow, cats wear jumpers instead of hats. During episode 21, The Cat's Pajamas, our Potter pondering was, how would you explain the function of a rubber duck to Mr. Weasley? Jamie said, now this is a great, light-hearted, thought-provoking question. Thanks, Jamie. I tell him it's a bath toy for small children meant to be colorful to keep their attention but a simple enough shape for them to hold. Which, if you think about the attention span and fine motor coordination of a small child, that's a very good explanation. Yeah. Diana said it is to subdue particularly rowdy muggle babies for a bath time and also to be adorable. Quincy said that a rubber duck is used for muggles to throw at other muggles when they are upset. At least, that's what I used mine for. IDK, maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) He also thinks it would be more fun to ask him, what isn't the function of a rubber duck? Samantha said that its overall function is to entertain small humans and some pets, and to annoy their parents. Pretty much. Several people, including Jenny, Dan, and Dave, all said that it's to make bath time so much fun, and now the song is stuck in my head. (laughs) <laughs> Rubber ducky, you're the one. You make bath time lots of fun. Rubber ducky, I'm awfully fond of you. Volvo Rodeo. <laughs> but I cracked up when Samantha responded to Dan saying, until it gets all moldy inside and then the squeak is gone and its butt is glued shut. Then Dan said, well, that escalated quickly. No one enjoys a glued butt. Speak for yourself, Dan. Different strokes, different folks, and all that. (laughs) Yep. Some people juggle geese. I loved Carly's question. Can wizard babies not have magical rubber duckies that move on their own in the tub? She also said that she hopes that when Jenny and Harry had James, he got him a rubber duck for bath time. Rubber ducky, you're the one. Damn it, now it's stuck in my head too. (laughs) So let's just keep rolling. Ugh. Our trivia question last week was, how many muggle lives had the opal necklace in Borgen and Burks claimed? The card next to the necklace, warning people not to touch it, said that it had claimed the lives of 19 muggle owners to date. Congratulations goes to Alice Kidgel, beating out both Quincy and Dave. 
Though Quincy did tell her not to get comfortable. It's so cool to have someone new come in and win. It's awesome. Carly pointed out that she didn't actually hashtag the code word. But that just made me like Alice even more. And I awarded her 10 bonus points from my private stash. But then Quincy tried to say that that's not how that works. To which I responded, I do what I want. You actually shared a gif that said you have a permit. I do have a permit that says I do what I want. <laughs> Quincy did get over it real fast when he realized that Alice is also a Gryffindor. And... She's our sorting hat story this episode, so we will all learn a little bit more about her later on. In the meantime, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 4 at Flourish and Blots and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 4 at Flourish and Blots Life at the Burrow is very different than at Privet Drive. In addition to all of the magical things that happen, for the first time Harry is surrounded by people who actually like him. One morning, at breakfast, letters arrive from Hogwarts, including a letter for Harry because Dumbledore doesn't miss a trick. The letters also have the book list for the upcoming year at Hogwarts, and they have to buy all seven of Gilderoy Lockhart's books. Fred reckons the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher must be a witch, and George worries about how expensive they will be. Mrs. Weasley says that they will manage and supposes they will be able to pick up Jenny's things secondhand because she's starting at Hogwarts this year too. Percy shows up for breakfast and nearly sits on the family owl, Errol, who has a letter from Hermione in response to Ron's letter to her about rescuing Harry. She hopes they didn't do anything illegal to get him and suggests they meet up in Diagon Alley to get school supplies the following Wednesday. In the meantime, Ron, Harry, Fred, and George head to a small paddock to play some Quidditch. They had asked Percy if he wanted to join, but he has been spending the summer mostly in his room and sending a lot of owls, and is not interested in playing. The next Wednesday, they all get up early and get ready for Diagon Alley. Mrs. Weasley takes a flower pot off of the mantel and says they are running low on flu powder and will need to get more today. She offers it to Harry first, who has no idea what to do. Fred goes first instead, taking a pinch of the glittering powder, throwing it into the flames as he steps in, and saying... Diagon Alley. Then George goes and they offer the pot and some advice to Harry. He copies the twins, but when he opens his mouth to speak, he swallows a lot of hot ash and coughs out Diagon Alley. He immediately feels like he's being sucked through a hole and spun around and around until he falls out, breaking his glasses, into a dusty shop that is most definitely not in Diagon Alley. He starts to make his way to the door but sees Draco Malfoy and his father on the other side of it and instead hides in a large cabinet nearby. He leaves the door just slightly cracked so he can peer through. Malfoy is complaining about Harry and his fame until his father reminds him it's not prudent to appear less than fond of Harry Potter. A man appears behind the counter and Mr. Malfoy addresses him as Mr. Borgen and informs him that he is selling. As the two haggle over prices, Draco looks around, coming closer and closer to Harry in the cabinet. Just as he is about to open it, Mr. Malfoy declares them done and they leave. Mr. Borgen returns to the back room and Harry waits another minute to make sure before slipping out and exiting the store. He sees a sign saying he is in Nocturne Alley, but that doesn't really help him. He's starting to worry when he hears Hagrid call his name and ask what he is doing there, saying that Nocturne Alley is a dodgy place. Harry tries to explain that he was lost because of flu powder, but then wonders why Hagrid is down there. Hagrid says he's looking for a flesh-eating slug repellent and takes Harry to find the Weasleys. They run right into Hermione and soon after find them. 
Fred and George are jealous he ended up in Nocturnally, and Mrs. Weasley is relieved that Hagrid found him. Mr. Weasley repairs Harry's glasses and wants to know if Lucius Malfoy bought anything while he was in Borgen and Burks when he overheard Harry telling Ron and Hermione he saw them there. Harry tells him that he was selling, and Mr. Weasley is glad that Lucius is worried. Then they all head off to Gringotts with Hermione and her muggle parents that Mr. Weasley is very excited to meet. They all get their money and then split up, planning to meet back at Flourish and Blotts in an hour to buy their school books. Harry, Ron, and Hermione get some ice cream, window shop, and buy some of their supplies. After an hour, they head to the bookshop and find out that Gilderoy Lockhart is there, signing his autobiography, and a large crowd of witches are gathered to see him. The trio grabs their books and make their way to the line where Mrs. Weasley is waiting breathlessly to see him. A photographer pushes by, stepping on Ron's foot, who is somewhat less than impressed he's with the Daily Prophet. Gilderoy Lockhart hears him and looks up, noticing Harry. He jumps up and grabs him, pulling him to the front of the camera, telling him to smile because together they are worth the front page. Lockhart then uses this moment to make an announcement about being the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts, and presents Harry with a set of books for free. After Harry manages to get away, he gives the books to Jenny, and they run into Draco, who mocks him for being famous. Jenny tells Malfoy to leave him alone, and he starts making fun of her, too. Ron and Hermione make it over to them, and Malfoy makes fun of him for being poor. And then Mr. Weasley and the twins make it through the crowd to usher them out. Mr. Malfoy appears over Draco's shoulder and addresses Mr. Weasley, picking up Jenny's battered transfiguration book and insulting him for being poor. Mr. Weasley attacks Mr. Malfoy, and the two need to be separated by Hagrid. Mr. Malfoy gives Jenny's book back, and they all leave the bookshop. Mrs. Weasley is upset at her husband for brawling in public. Quite subdued, they all head back to the burrow using flu powder. This time, Harry puts his glasses in his pocket. In the movie, the Weasleys and Harry are all eating breakfast when the family owl, Errol, crashes into the window, attempting to deliver the mail. Percy fetches the mail and finds their Hogwarts letters, including Harry's, because Dumbledore never misses a trick. The twins are worried about the cost, but Mrs. Weasley says they will manage and suggests a trip to Diagon Alley. In the next scene, everyone is gathered around the fireplace in their traveling cloaks. Mrs. Weasley picks up a pot and waves Harry forward to go first. Ron tells her that Harry has never traveled by flu powder before, and Mrs. Weasley says Ron should go first instead. Ron takes a handful of the powder, steps into the fireplace, and throws it to the ground, saying, Diagon Alley! Green flames engulf Ron, and he disappears. Mrs. Weasley encourages Harry to go next. Harry takes the powder, steps into the fireplace, and clearly says, diagonally. Covered in ash, he shoots out of a fireplace with broken glasses in a store full of dark and scary objects. As he wanders around, looking at all the creepy things, he notices a withered-looking hand and places his own inside it. The hand clamps down on his, and Harry has to pry it back open. Once free, Harry bolts from the shop and finds himself in an equally dark and scary alley. Harry finds himself surrounded by several creepy witches and wizards, becoming more and more scared when Hagrid shows up and leads him to safety. He tells Harry that he shouldn't be hanging around in Nocturne Alley. People will think that he's up to no good. This makes Harry wonder why Hagrid was down there, and Hagrid tells him that he was looking for flesh-eating slug repellent. Once in Diagon Alley, they run into Hermione, who again fixes Harry's glasses. 
banter Flourish and Blot's bookstore just in time to catch Gilderoy Lockhart's introduction. A smarmy blonde man in periwinkle robes saunters in and all of the women swoon. He poses for a picture and then notices Harry right behind the cameraman and says his name. The photographer grabs Harry and shoves him up next to Lockhart, who puts an arm around him and tells him to smile because together they are worth the front page. As Harry awkwardly stands next to him, Lockhart gifts him with his entire set of books. The women all applaud and Mrs. Weasley takes Harry's books to get them signed, shooing all of her kids outside. Before they can exit the bookstore, they are cut off by Draco Malfoy, who mocks Harry for the attention he just got. Ginny tells him to leave Harry alone, and Malfoy cruelly teases her, calling her Potter's girlfriend. Draco's father, Lucius Malfoy, interrupts at this point, introducing himself to Harry and using his cane to brush Harry's hair aside and look at his scar, calling it legendary, along with the wizard who gave it to him. Harry responds, saying, Voldemort killed my parents. He was nothing more than a murderer. Lucius tells Harry that he must be very brave or foolish to say the name, and Hermione declares, fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself. Lucius acknowledges that she is Miss Granger, that Draco has told him all about her and her muggle parents. He then calls out the rest of them for having red hair, vacant expressions, and second-hand books as he picks up Ginny's book and says they must be Weasley's. Mr. Weasley walks up and interrupts, taking Lucius's attention away from the kids. The two men coldly greet each other and disagree over what gives wizards a bad name. Lucius gets right up in Mr. Weasley's face, saying he'll see him at work, and drops two books back in Ginny's cauldron. Draco gets in Ron and Harry's face and says he'll see them at school. Technically, the book and the movie start out with the same thing happening, as Harry and the Weasleys are all eating breakfast, and the letters from Hogwarts arrive. It's not exactly the same, though, because in the book it's set up to be a different morning. Yeah, the movie just rolls. <laughs> rolls. <laughs> it just rolls it right into the same breakfast scene we talked about in the previous episode, right after Mr. Weasley asks Harry about the function of a rubber duck. Errol crashes into the window, and Percy, with his ah amazing bedhead, goes to fetch him and the mail. I asked Chris Rankin about the bedhead, wondering if it was natural or if they had to style it for him. He said, it's a bit of both. That's natural, like, I turned up looking like that basically every day, but they had to restyle it into essentially the same thing it was when I got up. That's a fun little thing to know, I gotta say. <laughs> I can totally see him just having bedhead all the time. It's cool that he told you that, though. Yeah, I just yeah. tweeted him and he responded. That's so fun. I dig that. <laughs> He's really nice. Yeah. And of course, Errol crashing into the window was a bit of added movie drama, because in the book, the letters were simply delivered by Hogwarts owls, though they did have Percy show up and nearly sit on Errol, who was on his chair, with a response from Hermione. So at least they did still have Percy interact with Errol in both. Also, I like to think that Book Percy would have had the same fantastic bedhead. Oh, for sure. The movie didn't have a letter from Hermione. It just went over the letters from Hogwarts. And it had the twins worry about how much the supplies were going to cost, and Mrs. Weasley saying that they will manage and suggest a trip to Diagon Alley. The book did have George worry about the cost because Gilderoy Lockhart's expensive entire book set was on their lists. 
Fred also reckons the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher must be a witch, which is a fun little throwback to him making fun of his mom for fancying Lockhart. But it's the letter from Hermione that suggests they all meet in Diagon Alley the following Wednesday to get their supplies, which leaves them with some extra time to hang around the burrow. And during this, Harry, Ron, George, and Fred play Quidditch in a small paddock nearby. And we also learned that they had asked Percy to join them, but he refused. Turns out, Percy has been spending a lot of time shut up in his room and sending letters and had no interest in flying around. So we got bilked out of a bedhead and broomstick scene. <laughs> Did you just say a bedhead and broomstick scene? Yeah. Well, I think we found our episode title. <laughs> I dig it. Oh, but yeah. The movie transitioned straight to the Weasleys and Harry all cloaked up and ready to travel by flu powder. Well, Harry wasn't really so ready for it. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Yeah. We don't even get to hear anything about the mystery surrounding Percy, the letter-writing shut-in. Or at least that's what we hope he's doing in his right. room. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really bring it up again until the end of the story. So we will get to talk about it more later, but it's not really a significant part to the story, so I can see why they left it out. But in the book, come Wednesday morning, the Weasleys and Harry are preparing to travel by flu powder. The two scenes are similar, but there are a few minor changes. For one thing, in the book, Mrs. Weasley says they are nearly out of flu powder and that they need to get more in Diagon Alley. In both, she offers the pot to Harry first, but like we already said, he was not ready for the flu powder <laughs> no. like at all. Ron tells her that Harry's never traveled by flu powder before, so she has him go first instead so Harry can see how it's done. And I gotta say, Harry's face after watching Ron use the flu powder is hilarious. Like, and this is how I die. <laughs> like, I like my eyebrows. You do realize that fire just ate your son, right? Right? Nope. Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> In the book, after she offers it to the clueless Harry, Fred goes first taking a pinch of the glittering powder, throwing it into the fire, stepping in and saying Diagon Alley. Fred is then followed by George. Then they offer it to Harry again. And when he takes his turn, he inhales a lot of hot ash and coughs out Diagon Alley. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> the movie just has him put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. So Diagon Alley just becomes diagonally. Which I am so ashamed to admit that even with that happening in the movie, it never clicked for me that Diagon Alley was diagonally until my <laughs> husband pointed it out to me when we were in Harry Potter world in Orlando. I'm gonna blame the accent. I heard diagonally. That's what I heard too. Yeah, but it just didn't click for me that he was saying diagonally. Yeah. That's when your Gryffindor brawny not brainy really kicked in though, huh? Seems very unhermione of you. Well, the book just had him cough through it. I remember watching the film the first time and thinking how the book didn't do it that way. Though in both, he does end up in Borgen and Burks with broken glasses. In the movie, we don't actually know that's what it is. Just that it's a dusty shop with a lot of dark objects. Harry sees a withered hand and reaches out to touch it and it clamps down on his. Because that's what you do when you see a hand, is you put your hand in it. Especially with coronavirus going around. Right? Definitely. Touch all the hands. Uh, but he has to pry at it to get it to release him. And then he just bolts from the shop, like you should. Yeah, that was just movie drama. The book just describes several dark things, including that withered hand. And then Harry tries to leave, but sees Draco Malfoy and his father and hides in a cabinet instead. 
And because he gave up meddling in the first book, he leaves the door of the cabinet slightly open so that he can listen in on Lucius Malfoy's conversation with Mr. Borgen as he sells some dark objects he feels could make him look bad. And I accidentally just typed luscious. Was it really an accident though, Ellen? Really? Yeah, it really was. Because Lucius is not luscious. Jason Isaac. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But Lucius? Mm. Yeah. This part does actually happen in a deleted scene from the movie. While Nazi von Douchebag Sr. is selling his suspicious objects to Mr. Borgen, Draco's looking around at all the things in the shop. His dad even hits him twice with his cane to stop him from touching things. Yeah, in the book, he specifically tells him not to touch anything, and then Nazi von Douchebag Jr. whines about how he said he was going to buy him a present. Then that turns into a rant about Harry, where his dad has to remind him that it isn't prudent to appear less than fond of Harry Potter. We also learn that the withered hand is called the Hand of Glory, and see an opal necklace that has killed 19 muggles, both of which become more significant later in the series. And it was also a trivia question. Yep. Side note, I love that J.K. Rowling made it an opal necklace. Opals have a long history of being considered magical, but then sort of falling from grace and being considered bad luck. Supposedly, even today, there are people who believe it's bad luck to wear opals if it's not your birthstone. So, if you are superstitious and weren't born in October, avoid opals. What about if your child was born in October? Can you wear opals then? That might be a loophole, because a lot of moms do, like, Mm -hmm. birthstone rings for their kids or necklaces that have all of their kids' birthstones in them. So that could be a loophole. Okay, cool. Because I I like opals. If you want (laughs) to risk it. I mean, are you superstitious? I mean... Can my luck get much worse? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, with a history like that, I can't imagine JK didn't do that on purpose. Yeah, it seems unlikely because it was definitely a good gemstone choice for a cursed necklace that kills people who touch it. I like to think that Malfoy was about to touch it in the deleted scene and that's why his dad hit him with the cane. It's either that or his dad is just a huge von douche. I mean, why not both? Or yeah, could be both. Speaking of both, if you include the deleted scene, then in both, Malfoy nearly opens the cabinet that Harry is hiding in, but his father finishes selling just before he does. And I wish they had included this scene in the film because there's quite a lot of foreshadowing in it. In addition to the opal necklace and the hand of glory, the cabinet that Harry is hiding in is the vanishing cabinet, which will also become extremely significant later on. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that more later. They actually had two deleted scenes from this section, because there was also an alternate version where Harry tries to leave the shop and is confronted by Borgen. Yeah, and that one definitely didn't happen in the book. He just waited for the Malfoys to leave and Mr. Borgen to go into the back room and slipped out. This is when he realizes that he's in Nocturne Alley and where I again have to share my blonde moment, where I didn't realize that sounded like nocturnally, until my husband pointed it out. But I also learned that there is a cross street called Horizont Alley. So there's a horizontally too. My friend used to say that she needed to add a vertic alley as well. Oh, then there could be a vertically. Yes. In both, Harry runs into Hagrid who helps him find his way out of Nocturne Alley and tells him that he shouldn't be hanging around where people will think he's up to no good. Harry wants to know what Hagrid is doing there, and he says he was looking for flesh-eaten slug repellent. It gets a little different 
once Hagrid gets Harry to Diagon Alley, though in both they run into Hermione first, the movie has her fix Harry's glasses when the book has Arthur fix them. We can totally call this another moment where Hermione steals someone else's line. Mm -hmm. Also, never mind the fact that she completely performs underage magic outside of school. Not that the movie really has put a ton of emphasis on this fact yet. There was the one mention of it at the end of the first movie, but in general, underage magic outside of school has a few plot holes throughout the films. Yeah, we'll point those out as we come to them. Yep. In addition to the film changing the glasses repair, it also omits the part where Harry, the Weasleys, and the Grangers all go to Gringotts to get money out, or exchange muggle money. They then split up for about an hour and agree to meet up at the bookstore Flourish and Blots. The movie just has them go straight to Flourish and Blots, arriving just in time to see Gilderoy Lockhart's introduction and all of the witches swoon. (laughs) (laughs) Which finally makes reference to Fred's jokes about betting the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher is a witch and his mum fencing Lockhart. Oh yeah, and Molly swooning is perfect during this part. I love her. Actually, all of the witches had great lovesick expressions. Mm Mm-hmm. In both, Lockhart notices Harry and pulls him up so they can get their picture taken together, though how he notices Harry is slightly different. In the book, the photographer steps on Ron's foot trying to push past and doesn't even apologize, just says it's for the Daily Prophet. Ron says, big deal, loud enough for Lockhart to hear, and he looks up and sees Harry Potter. Yeah, in the movie, he just sees him because he's standing right behind the photographer and the photographer pushes him forward to get a picture, basically. Yeah, they actually have Lockhart, like, go out and grab him from the crowd to, to pull him up. So that was a little bit of a difference, too. Mm-hmm. But in both, Lockhart gives Harry a set of his books for free. However, in the book, this is also when he announces that Harry's getting so much more than that. And shares that he will be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts. Which is not shared at this point of the movie. Harry gets his books and Mrs. Weasley takes them to get signed, telling them all to wait outside. But before they can leave, we see Malfoy rip a page out of a book and then intercept them, which that is kind of weird. Because I just really want to know what page he ripped out. Right, in what book? Yeah. This basically happens in the book too, except Harry gives the books to Ginny and says he will buy his own. Then they run into Malfoy, who didn't rip a page out of a book. Mm -hmm. And the scene commences pretty similarly with Malfoy mocking Harry for being famous and Ginny sticking up for him, which causes Malfoy to make fun of her, too. Yeah. The movie changes it some from this point, though, because it has Lucius walk up and address Harry, like, directly. If by address him you mean completely invade his personal space, then yes. Well, yeah. How else do you address somebody? I mean, Nazi von Duschbeg Sr. uses his cane to brush Harry's hair aside and look at his scar, which is legendary. 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 As, of course, is the wizard who gave it to you. Voldemort killed my parents. He was nothing more than a murderer. You must be very brave to say his name. Or very foolish. Though I can't figure out why Lucius looks somewhat surprised when Harry reminds him that Voldy killed his parents. Like, does this information shock you, Lucy? Right? And then, of course, we have Hermione steal Dumbledore's line. Well, of course. Fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself. (laughs) And, of course, that gives Nazi von Douchebag Sr. a chance to sneer about Hermione's muggle family. 
Plus, he threw in an insult to the Weasleys about being poor, just for good measure. Red hair, vacant expressions, and as he picks up Ginny's book, tattered hand-me-down books. Yeah, the book didn't have Nazi von Douchebag Sr. interact with the trio, just Mr. Weasley, who came up right behind the kids not long after Nazi von Douchebag Jr. started insulting them. Sr. was standing right behind Jr. the whole time and addressed Mr. Weasley. Which, the interaction between the dads does happen in the movie, too, because Mr. Weasley walks up right after Lucius picks up Ginny's book, basically. In the book, he picks up Ginny's book as he insults Mr. Weasley for being poor. And then Mr. Weasley full-on attacks him, and Hagrid has to break them apart, which would have been so fun to see. Oh my god, I wish we could have seen this so much. Like, I would just love to have an entire movie that's just Lucius Malfoy and Arthur Weasley fighting while Peeves, like... Stands eats in the popcorn. corner. Yeah, eats popcorn. <laughs> throws things at them. And throws things and like just Probably taunts says them. swear words. Yeah, taunts them, says some dirty words. Like that's that's gonna be my my favorite Harry Potter movie, if I'm if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I could yeah. I could take two hours of that. I'm down. That'd be a great fight scene. <laughs> Seriously. Ah, oh, sadly. No fight in this movie. Just very tense words. And then he puts Ginny's book back in her cauldron, and if you're paying attention, you just might notice he actually put a second book in as well. I feel like this goes along with what we talked about during the Quidditch match in the first movie, how the teacher dominoes knocking over Quirrell was obvious to me, since we already knew Quirrell was the one actually jinxing Harry's broom from the book. As someone who saw the movies before reading the books, Dave had pointed out that it was actually more subtle than I thought. So I wonder if the two books were as noticeable as I feel like they were, or if they were also more subtle. Because in the book, all that's mentioned is that Lucius gave the book back to Ginny. We don't find out anything else until later, and we'll talk more about it then. Yeah. I mean, I vaguely remember seeing him put two books back in, but it, I remember the first time I saw it, it didn't really entirely click for me. But when you're looking for it, it's very right. obvious. But it's not like he put his book in front so it was kind of you only saw a little edges of it yeah basically see i i just but again like i just to me it was very obvious but i was yeah. looking for it i exactly. wondered how they were going to do that so i wonder what it's like if you don't know to look for it a little bit that i remember is dave i, I had forgotten yeah dave you're gonna have to weigh in on this one for us too yeah it's one of, and it's such a it's such a quick little shot too true it's just kind of like Wait, were there two books there? Or did Rewind. Yeah, exactly. And if you're in a movie theater, you can't exactly do that. So True. you may overlook it that way. But then he tells Mr. Weasley that he will see him at work. And Draco literally follows in his dad's footsteps with the see you at school line. Which is really childish. Like it just shows I mean, Draco's a child. Yeah, but it just shows how immature Draco is. Well, he also just desperately wants his dad's approval, so of course he's gonna act just like him. Yeah, that's true. But of course, like gee, you wonder where Draco got that from. Yeah, obviously. Though I do want to point out that in the books, Lucius does not work at the ministry. He's independently wealthy and doesn't have to work, so he just throws money around to influence people at the ministry, which would make the see you at work line inaccurate. Well, I mean, maybe he considers buying off politicians and schmoozing work. Like they say, pimpin' ain't easy. <laughs> yeah. Pimpin' ain't easy. Pimpin' ain't easy. But the movie scene does end at this point, so 
The book goes on to show Mrs. Weasley being upset with Mr. Weasley for brawling in public and worrying about what Gildor Lockhart must have thought. Pleased for the publicity, the vain bastard. (laughs) Right. Then they all head back to the burrow by flu powder, and this time Harry puts his glasses in his pocket. It also mentions that he does not really like traveling by flu powder. Well, after that, he didn't have a very good first trip. Not even a little bit. Not so much. Uh, But that's where the chapter ends. Mm -hmm. And that'll bring us to the new and returning actors that we get to see for the first time in this film. First, we have Chris Rankin and his phenomenal bedhead as Percy Weasley. Honestly, I I feel like his bedhead should have had its own credit. It 100% (laughs) stole the scene. It was pretty awesome. I loved it. (laughs) Well, too, it was a nice juxtaposition because you always think of Percy as being so button up and, right. and very proper and all this and then you see him with all this waking this up in the morning yeah i really wish that they had included that mystery surrounding percy even though it wasn't that significant to the whole story mm-hmm. but i just having met chris rankin and knowing how well he understands percy mm-hmm. i just really wish he had had the opportunity to bring more to that character because he really like he could have really done some cool things with Percy and brought him to life in a way that just did not get to happen the way that it was done. Yeah, which would have just been nice to see. With all of the characters, really. Exactly. We also had Robbie Coltrane as Rubius Hagrid. Or as you like to say, Rubius. Well, that's how Jim Dale (laughs) says it. So I have, like, he mispronounces a few things, like Bourgeois for Bezor and Jim Dale. Yeah. And, you know, he said Voldemort for the longest time. Mm -hmm. So because I listen to the eye, like I fall asleep to the audiobooks, so it's stuck in your head. That's what gets stuck in my head, and sometimes mm. that's what comes out. It just sounds. Or, but so then funny. there are other times where he says things wrong, and I just let, like bourgeois every time he does that. I'm just like, <laughs> you're such an idiot. Like, <laughs> aw, sad. But not Robbie Coltrane, who was just yes. the most phenomenal Hagrid. And I just, even though it was just a little scene where he finds him in Nocturne Alley, and it's just like. Like, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. I just, he's just so haggard. And I desperately wish we could have seen him breaking up the fight between right? Mr. Malfoy and Mr. Weasley. Like, why? We Let's let's be honest. We just want to see uh, Lucius Malfoy get manhandled by Hagrid. Yeah. That's kind of all I want in life, yeah. really. And for Peeves to throw popcorn at him. I'm, <laughs> I'm a very simple woman. Now I'm imagining in your... Your little headcanon film here. I'm imagining Hagrid as the referee. Oh, hell yeah. My headcanon film is awesome. (laughs) I love my headcanon film. But this will bring us into Emma Watson as the line-stealing Hermione Granger. Which her only two actions in this entire scene were to complete what somebody else did in the stories (laughs) but she was adorable while doing it she was and she she was was still like even though they weren't originally her lines she was very hermione about both of them because Mm -hmm. the oculus repero was very know-it-all and then that fear of a name only it just was it was just very snotty yeah it was and like Hermione's a little snotty. Like, it was, it also had that know-it-all thing happening about it. She was also kind of adorable swooning over Lockhart, too, though. Yeah, like I said, all of the witches were so, which is, oh. Yeah. Loved it. All these witches. Oh, sorry. No, we're, oh, moving on from there. (laughs) Speaking Um, of swooning over Lockhart, we got to meet Kenneth Branagh as Gilderoy Lockhart, and, like, 
oh my god, did he play smarmy so well. Like, his smile, his laugh, everything about words coming out of his mouth. Like, I just, it was just so cringeworthy. Right? I can't, like, I, as as a woman, I can't figure out why everyone was listening to him and swooning. Right. Well, but I feel like they're not actually hearing the words. I feel like they were just seeing the package. Which, I mean, that's what he's counting on, I'm, yeah. pr- I'm pretty sure. That's what he's hoping you know, those- for periwinkle robes yeah oh my gosh pretty- it, those were his color though yeah. i have to say yeah <laughs> they suited him oh quite he well. like he looked the part he sounded the part like mm-hmm. oh he is he it was fantastic yeah he reminded me a little bit of when he was um benedict and much ado about nothing which is also <laughs> a very hammy kind of part right he's and just the character there. in general though he's just so useless and and I, I know i've talked about the game before but the harry potter deck building game mm-hmm that I made you play. Yes. If you can get the the Lockhart card, the ally card with Gilderoy Lockhart, it's literally a useless card. Like, it, oh. like having that card does nothing but put an extra card in your deck. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, Kenneth Branagh, he did a great job. But you know, it's it's funny. I had read somewhere that Hugh Grant was actually originally supposed to play Lockhart. You know, I love Hugh Grant, and I think he would have done a fantastic job, but after already seeing Kenneth Branagh doing it, I can't imagine it. Yeah, it's hard when you've already had somebody else do it. I'm just of this mindset that nobody else should be that role. Mm -hmm. As much as I love Hugh Grant. Right. But at the same time, like, brings us a little bit back to in our very first episodes when we were talking about perfect casting and, and fantasy casts and that is an interesting substitution. I right. guess Hugh Grant would be. Of course, it wouldn't work if you were to remake him now. But right, it's Too still old now. But. Yeah, we also had Tom Felton as Draco Malfoy. I love little and, Tom Felton. Oh man, I just he's such I, a dick. <laughs> he and he's growing into this role so nicely too. Mm-hmm. Because like, there's a big difference between the two movies. Just they were babies in the first one, and they yeah. look already so much more mature Mm -hmm. and you can hear it in their voices so he went from being like super cute and but a total snot to being just old enough now that he's really graduating into his douchebaggedness yeah yeah and And he was and he was like becoming a handsome kind of young man too so he was able to play a little bit into the i'm handsome and i know it oh yeah it worked out really well for him which made him perfect along with Lucius because Lucius you could totally get that vibe from him too oh definitely because mostly Jason Isaacs yeah is definitely a handsome man right which brings us to Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy as Luscious Malfoy as I accidentally (laughs) typed although like I said before I don't find there to actually be anything luscious about Malfoy yeah he is just the von douchiest of von douchebags like, yeah like going that, back i'm a fan of draco i love draco but my thing is i love fandom draco i love the draco that that is redeemed in fan fiction and well you know things I mean, like that i think but, not that this is that far off from being fan fiction but i think that draco does totally get redeemed mm-hmm. in cursed child yeah and i think it's even starting to happen a little bit towards the end of the seventh book because yeah, where they... like the whole Malfoy family is becoming disenchanted with Voldemort by that point and we'll obviously talk so much more about that then yeah we'll get there <laughs> um, and but I think it just goes to show that Draco like Draco Malfoy's not all bad no 
but I kind of think lot his of, father might be. It's a lot of nature versus nurture yeah. with, with Draco, I think. I mm-hmm. think his mother was what kept him with a little bit of humanity. Right. Like, if he were raised by Lucius, I don't think there would have been much hope for oh, him. Oh, no, he'd just be a total honesty. Lucius clone. Yeah. I think that everything that Draco ever did that was awful mm-hmm. was just trying to gain his father's approval. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not sure that... A lot of fam- familial pressure. Right. I, but I'm not sure that Lucius actually had any redeeming qualities. They certainly didn't show them to us in the book. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you can, and you can tell from this scene, and you can tell from the way Jason Isaacs plays him, yes. too. And he does a very good job at playing him. Because oh, yeah. I've seen Jason Isaacs in other things, and I love him, and he's great. And But then I see him in this, and I'm just like, fuck Ugh, you, dude. Right? He's you nasty and bastard. And because I think he's so awful, then obviously Jason Isaacs did a fantastic job. Exactly. Exactly. In the deleted scene, we also had Edward Tudor Paul as Mr. Borgen. Mm-hmm. And you just, he's just supposed to be this, like, oily salesman. and Which he was. He was. He pulled that off. He so. was. He did quite well. It's a shame they didn't leave his scene in there. I was going to say, I wish they would have kept the scene in. Like, for other reasons, obviously, too. But he did do a very good borgen right know. and i mean the books have borgen and burks as a store being a lot more significant to the yeah. story than the movies did yeah which sure. we'll talk about when we get to that point too but yeah so it's kind of a shame that all of that got omitted but yeah at least there was the deleted scene we could reference mm-hmm. uh, but then of course there were also many other background actors especially in the bookshops the cluster of witches cluster. swooning yeah Two of which were actually, yet again, we had Chris Columbus's daughters. Right. And so that that's yay nepotism once right. again. Once again. You know, but I times. mean, honestly, the his daughter was Eleanor mm-hmm. Columbus, who played Susan. Who was Susan Bones, yeah. yeah. She also had a really fucking fantastic swoon face. Yeah. Like, she, I mean, she oh, she looked like she was melting. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, she was, she was cute. Mm-hmm. I liked her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's going to bring us to our Potter ponderings, mm-hmm. which we've decided we want to know if you could travel by flu powder, would you? And then why or why not? Yeah. Not necessarily where would you travel by flu powder, but would why? you? Yeah. Would you do it? After looking at Harry's face and the disaster that right. happened with him and <laughs> how dirty it makes you or what could go wrong. Right. I mean, if, I'm, you? if I'm meeting someone for a date, I'm definitely not going no. to flu powder. Definitely not. Depends on what you're doing for the date. True. That is but. true. You know, communal shower. Sure. All right. We'll take, <laughs> we'll take flu powder. Why not? Swimming. Sure. Again, why not? step down from communal shower but whatever <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it depends it would depends on the place i would at least i'd like to try it once at least just to see what it's like but i gotta tell you like I, i'm not huge on the sensation of falling which is what i feel like a well lot and that's so, that's what like the the spinning and the falling yeah mm-hmm. i feel like that would deter people as well yeah so i'm interested to know what you guys think would you travel by flu powder yeah why or why not Exactly. And this week's Sorting Hat story features Alice Kidgel. She writes, I'm a Gryffindor. My wand is ebony wood with a unicorn hair core, 13 and one quarter inches, rigid and flexible. And my Patronus is a Basset Hound. I wasn't a very good reader as a child, so I didn't start reading until I saw the first two movies at the cinema while I was in primary school. I have now read the series countless times. I am currently reading the illustrated versions to my son, who is six and a half months old. 
it's a good time to start. Right. I get them early. Say. Yes. Get that in the head. That's what you got to do. We are halfway through Prisoner of Azkaban. I've only just started listening to your podcast a few days ago, and I'm enjoying it. I'm starting from the start, so I have a bit to catch up on. Thanks for sharing, Alice. We are so happy to have you join us. Right. And that will bring us to this week's trivia question, Mm -hmm. which is, what is the year, make, and model of the Weasley's flying car? We're trying to come up with some hard ones Mm -hmm. for you guys. It's a rough one. Yeah. The prize for the one who responds with a correct answer and the code word, hashtag mistrain, will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you are an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 5, The Whomping Willow, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.